Welcome to the Round 8 Supercoach Coach Podcast. I'm Marcus, and this week I'm joined again by FB Donkey. G'day, mate. I can hear a bloody pep in your voice because um, you're crushing <laughs> me in the rankings now after I sort of got a good head start. Three weeks in a row, this marks, and uh, surprisingly, I'm I'm now about 100 points ahead of you, which I'll take. So yeah, we'll go with an around the grounds before we kick off our questions for the week. A lot of rookies to talk about this week. So good after probably last week, not looking like there were the, the best rookie options available to us. Having quite a few debutants scoring well on their debut certainly throws up heaps of questions in that space this week. Before we get to all that, 26.03 was my score Ooh. and neither... A Max Gorn owners, so considering no Max, I've got to be pretty darn happy about that. My Luke Parker trade from a couple of weeks ago, bearing fruit, uh, his break-even was 50 as well, so I'm very happy he went up about 40K and got a bit of extra value from others that are now looking at him. Big scores from some top-end premium, so Tom Stewart with a 187. I think most people are short and Lockie Neal. I got lucky and put the VC on Miller because I was at a wedding and I missed putting the VC on Oliver. So that was pure luck. <laughs> I, I love it when you get lucky. Head. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> I still left points on the pine with my conscious decisions. I played Perez over O'Driscoll, which was negative 19 what? points. What? <laughs> you were you had big hopes in the cats smashing Freo, didn't you? You thought the cats were just going to romp at home and they got done. Yeah, I loophole. So uh, I saw 57. I was like, Perez could beat that. It seems like the downside's low. That was a mistake. And I played Rochelle over De Koning. And that was, so I, gave, I still gave up 50 points. With I gave back all the gain I got for my lucky decision. <laughs> anyway, such is life. That was enough to more than halve my rank. So that was very exciting. I'm now into about the 10K mark from about 23K mark. So for all the coaches wondering, you know, I'm languishing at the 20 or 30K mark. The comp is so tight these days, even after seven or eight rounds, that just an extra 100 points can halve your ranking. How'd you go, Doc? First of all, shout out to my wife, who uh, was pretty proud of herself. She was a 35th ranked coach this week, which um, <sighs> is her highest ever. She managed to bring in Took and Parker this week, who both scored 150 plus. So um, she was pretty stoked with herself. Uh, she kicked my butt. I unfortunately <laughs> only scored 24.50. I would like to blame Tim English for that, being on the bench, but yep. you also had Tim English on the bench, so I probably can't cop that. <laughs> um, I didn't have Gorn either, the most obvious captain you've ever seen in your life, yep. and that probably cost me a heap of points in the end because I had Oliver as the VC, and then when I saw Gorn go so high, I thought I really need to gamble and try and get some more points in the captain's field, and so I went McRae who has scored under 100 at Eddie had like four times in the last five years. And unfortunately, this was one of them. Just never got involved in the game. Bont was back in the midfield. It just, yeah, wasn't his game at all. So that cost me a heap of points, especially since I had a lot of the high scorers like Miller and Neil and Stewart and lots of other options that I could have potentially taken. I also decided not to do a double upgrade because I would have been a compromised upgrade in like a Rosie sort of category um, and held 250,000 
100k back. So that probably cost me 50 odd points as well. So I moved up the rankings slightly with a 24.57. That uh, cadence cost you uh, maybe 60 points there, Mark. So got to get back on the uh, bicycle this week and, and get that cadence back up. At least you got that 250k to spend, which is good. Mel's not in our super coach coach groups. So tell her to join up. Oh no, so she would have got some... a shout out from you. <laughs> Fortunately, you're here to give her a shout out because that was actually the top scorer from both our super coach coach groups, both the Patreon and the, the regular community groups. So well done to Mel. I'll read out the other top two scorers though. John's team, Hellbent 21. SCC, long-time member and vet of the community. He scored 26.82 and moved him up into 371st overall. So well done, Helmet, killing it. And team alrighty then, or James's team, he scored 27.11 to move him up to 39,000. So big scores all around. Not enough to beat Mel though. So huge shout out to Mel. Well done. All right, questions for this week. We're going to start off with the potential trade-in targets and then have a bit of a chat about which rookies might be ready to be culled for the week. Before we get to rookies, though, the only clear trade-in target for this week in terms of the ownership change stats as of time of recording is Luke Parker. Now, he's gone up to 518k, but... Averaging 104 looks like one of the standout forward options at the moment when you go by average and certainly would still represent some decent value priced at 520k. What do you reckon about Luke Parker being a trade-in target this week? Good value on offer still? Bit unsure on that one. Like I, I can't really explain. Didn't he score 38 or something like three weeks ago? So I can't really explain that game. Um, which worries me a little bit. I mean, maybe this is time. I've been talking about Luke Park for the last five years that when is he going to become the Sydney's number one midfielder? And now uh, with JPK getting a bit long in the tooth and not playing so much, being in a different role, Buddy's back, Papley's back, Heaney, despite the midfield talk of time, he's getting a bit, but he's also playing so well up forward that maybe Parker is the number one guy now and can definitely average pretty high over a patch. So uh, as an owner, what do you reckon? feel like... Even if he's not a top tier midfielder, that as a forward, he seems like a reasonably safe option to go with. Out of all the lines, the bar for the forward line's easily the lowest. Parker's only 29, I think. Feels like he's been around a lot longer, but that's not too old to expect a big drop. People are still looking at Pendlebury at 34 years old. Parker's basically averaged 100 every year. Dipped a little bit below at 99 a couple of times, but it's basically been 99 plus since 2014. And quite a few of those were 105 plus. And in the forward line, that's good enough. He's played pretty much most games in that time. So 2013 onwards, 22 games, 22 games, 19 games, 22 games, 22 games, 21 games, 22, the full 17 in the COVID year, and then 22 again last year. So Damn, that's some good things. Yeah, from a durability standpoint, from a potential downside standpoint, and I was attributing most of his start in the forward line earlier in the year to Buddy 
and Papley not being in the team, but with Papley returning as well, I think they just will continue to get more time in the midfield. The the Josh Kennedy point you brought up was fair and they've got good midfielders in terms of running midfielders who are young, but in terms of a midfield ball, he sort of stands out now as that sort of play in the midfield. I was reasonably happy to bring him in a week early. I didn't bring him one week ago. I actually brought him two weeks ago. So I obviously have some reasonable faith. But the other part is that his draw also looks reasonably good. Sydney have just played Hawthorne and Brisbane, who do let up some points to opposition midfielders. But then you've got Gold Coast this week. Essendon, Carlton, who are not particularly great, but then Richmond and Melbourne, who again let some points through, I guess to note, Hawthorne and Brisbane, who are the teams he just played, they do lend themselves towards some level of midfield scoring. So it's not like I'm going to be expecting his average from the last three weeks to continue, but he does have some favorable draw coming up, up until the buys as well. Sounds pretty good. Is that an all right sales pitch? It is. It sounds pretty good. I'm still... Thinking that Dugowie can match him from here. Dugowie's score on the weekend was obviously terrible because he had he was sick during the week. But uh, in a contract year for Dugowie, I think that there is a decent chance at 50k cheaper that he can actually match Parker from here. But Dugowie, like we said last week, comes with a lot more risk than Parker does. Injury risk as well, I guess, which is probably the main one to factor in. (laughs) Gun to your head this week, Parker or Dugowie. I mean, are you picking a forward premium this week well i am picking a forward and a defender this week and it depends on which rookie i take to which two premiums i can bring in yeah it'll it'll depend on whether i end up with mccall or clark in the midfield if you can afford parker does that mean you intend to take parker yeah that's right yep so if i end up with mccall i could probably end up with parker and hewitt this week on to the next question. This one's from Craig, and he's asking about Jack Sinclair versus Luke Parker. But outside of that specific one-on-one, I guess I did want to ask, there will be coaches that, unlike you, ha- don't have the extra cash this week. And so they're choosing between one upgrade somewhere on field. And a lot of people have been upgrading in the midfield over the last few weeks to the point where they've probably only got a couple left. And maybe outside of Miller who's still presenting at an okay price. Not necessarily a heap of reason to pick another midfielder this week. It feels like people are generally looking to the back line or to the forward line and and having the option between the... How are you comparing the back line premiums to the forward line premiums this week? Because there's better scoring in the back line, but they're all pretty expensive. And there's some bargains on offer in the forward line, but they probably don't make as much difference to your score each week because of their lower sort of ceiling at the moment. So many defenders averaging, you know, 110 plus compared to the forward line. It depends on where you're getting rookies off field and which rookies you're getting off field. And so defense, I think there's like 15 players averaging over hundred and forward is like six or something like that. Like it's, there's a huge discrepancy, which. In some ways, even though the forward premiums will score less, they stand out more, the ones that do, are averaging over 100, and it matters more to get the right ones in the forward line. Whereas in defense, there's just so many options that you can forego the ones that are a bit more expensive and just get the right timing on the right player because they're going to average pretty similar and, and, and average pretty high. So from that sense, um, 
probably prioritizing those unique forwards. And that's probably why I kept him English, that he's just such a standout in the forward line compared to everyone else. So in that sense, probably Parker over Sinclair. I think Sinclair as well had a bit of a lower score on the weekend, so he'll get a bit cheaper, whereas Parker's on the way up. um, And so you'll have more opportunities to get Sinclair, but not Parker. The part that I'm struggling with, I guess, a little bit is the person that I'm pushing out of the forward line, and I assume a lot of people will be pushing out of the forward line, is scoring relatively well compared to the backline rookies that are playing. And so when you factor in the extra discrepancy in that scoring to what the top end backline players can be doing, it feels like I I will score better in the short term, even if I'm not picking up like as much of a unique or must have player relative to, to their position. So for example, in the forward line, because a lot of people have Brody and have Cornelio and you might be pushing out a player like Nick Martin, let's say. Where in the back line, like you might be pushing out uh, Paddy McCartan. And so the difference from Paddy to a potential 110 compared to, you know, like a Nick Martin versus a 105 type player, from a short term point of view, it feels tempting to try and get a backline player in, even if it's not as clear who the top six will be, even if I'm overpaying to a degree. Any thoughts around sort of working through the, that consideration? Sure. So I think everyone's probably putting a fair bit of thought into that. I think that, um, this season with the addition of new DPP changes has meant that you can really shuffle your rookies around. So I'll be looking at a, uh, after this week, hopefully, depending on which rookie I take, I could potentially have Dacos, Martin, Clark, and Sam Hayes as four rookies. And I need to play three of them each week and I can play any three of them with some DPP. So that situation means that like I'm, I'm looking to keep them all on field and with Nick Martin, I think you have to be fielding Nick Martin. You wouldn't be having him on your bench. You'd, you'd like, there's no way you'd be keeping like a McCartan de Kooning on field and putting Nick Martin to your bench. That's just crazy. So if, if that's the case that you're looking at, you'd definitely be looking at the back lineup, correct? It's probably where I'm leaning to at the moment, but yeah, overpaying for one of those top end backline players has me a little bit nervous. Like. They feel like it'd be nice to wait for one poor game. There's so many of them and just try and pick up one at a slightly discounted rate. Jaden Short scored a 50 a couple of weeks ago and he's having an amazing season. Like defenders do have down games. So yeah, you're right that they will come cheap at some stage. All right. You did mention one player who we probably do want to move to next in terms of the potential trade-ins. That's Greg Clark. Now, he's he's the obvious trade-in target this week in terms of ownership change percent, but he isn't even on the bubble yet. But we've been talking about him for a while and you already referenced him on field and and a lot of people are looking at that. And that's really why I want to drag him forward in the conversation is that it's interesting whenever you get a rookie like a a Proust or a Hayes and or in this case Clark where you go, hey, I'm getting them mid-season and I actually might want to restructure a little bit so I make sure that I have them on field. And that doesn't necessarily mean downgrading a premium, but you know, you'll final mid prices in those positions. So I've got Raul and Barry, you know, should I be aggressively looking to free up the cash there to bring in a Clark and, and moving that cash into a premium elsewhere in my team, because Clark just offers such good scoring potential, or is that maybe jumping the gun on what is ultimately just still a first game? I think that both of those statements are true based on the information that we have right now. 
getting Clark onto field, at least in the short term until you can upgrade in that spot, seems like the right thing to be doing, potentially even heading into the buys before you even need to make a move in that situation. But off one game, we've seen plenty of cases where a rookie's been talked up, they've come in, they've smashed their first game, um, even their second game, and then they've struggled after that and they've started posting 50s and stuff. So there's no guarantees with that that Greg Clark's going to be good to have on field. And that's where DPP comes in, that you can potentially have options um, in regards to who you're actually getting onto field. But based on what we know now, yes, I think that the goal would be to get Clark in and get him on field. Before we get to the other players who are fresh off a single game, I think Clark, because he's the main one who's done so well and who's been anticipated, who's just had their debut, We'll stick to him for the moment. But I do want to reference the players that are actually on the bubble because they're people who are looking at bringing Clark in ahead of some of the bubble boys. And we did get a question from one of our patrons on that, Josh McClure, asking whether or not we should be going early. Uh, Rioli, Clark, Carroll, uh, the three names that all scored 90 plus. Before we get into that, let's have a quick chat about the bubble boys. So we've got McComb, Curtis, and Stranatika. McComb is probably the main one that people are looking at. Yeah. 26 year old mature age player would not have expected him to break into what is a very tough midfield, but he has, uh, had a really strong game. The last game, especially with 20 ish disposals, I think eight score involvements, 18 pressure acts, two goals. And really looks like he's secured some short-term job security and importantly, rookie priced 102K. Let's start with him. I think you were talking about him in previous weeks going, if, if this guy stays in the team, which by all means, it looks like he will moving forward, he, he becomes a pretty obvious pick. So it's a little bit tricky. Obviously he played pretty well. You, you mentioned those amazing stats at the end of the weekend, 21 touches and two goals and scored like 63 which is absolutely horrific for that stat line. And you would expect way, way more. So from that perspective, maybe he's not going to be amazing. The other thing it was that, and Bevo admitted this after the game, Bevo was really happy with his performance, but said he's a inside mid slash small forward and they asked him to play on a wing. And so clearly he's being played out of position. Um, and that could indicate some pretty low scores for him going forward in that role. The other issue is uh, you wouldn't you would think he would be very unlikely to get dropped this week, but there are some players to come into that side that could push him out and play a similar role. So he's going to be really fighting for his job every week, playing out of position. So that's going to be really tricky. But the sale the sale factor for me is the price. If you can get a twenty six year old at that price that can kick two goals and have twenty touches, it's pretty hard to ignore. Yeah, there's some pros and cons there at the moment. I'm leaning pretty 50-50, but I'm leaning towards probably taking him. I think the other part that makes it a little bit challenging is that he's mid-only and Clark's another rookie who's potentially another mid-only selection yeah. next week. Um, 100%. There are other players like Carroll, who also scored 90-plus as mid-only. So that's potentially the challenge is that you might be in a spot where you're probably not able to bring all of them in. And in, in which case do you start to look a little bit more at just saying, Hey, maybe I'll roll the dice on Clark early. You really, in this situation, you're right that you have to be looking a couple of weeks ahead about once you start bringing these guys in, if this is the, your way of generating cash is bringing midfield rookies in, 
are you going to have four or five of these guys that you're going to have to bring into your midfield because you've got Stevens on your bench or Hobbs and you're adding these guys and therefore you're going to have to play a couple of them on field. Um, are you going to stran- like make yourself stranded in that situation? And are there other guys that could potentially take that trade for you? And so if Carroll plays really well again, are you going to be looking at Carroll and Clark next week as double downgrades? You're probably not going to want to do that. So yeah, you definitely have to keep an eye out for all those things. And like you said, the, the mid only thing's a real problem because you don't want to lose your mid forward link this year. I think it's just extra, extra important. With that, let's talk about the two other options who are fortunately on a different line. Yeah. So we've got Curtis for North up forward. He, he is yeah. a pressure forward, which is not ideal playing for North Melbourne. And then we've got the West Coast Ruckman, whose name is very challenging to say. Stranadica. Stranadica. Yeah. Um, so the West Coast Ruckman played really well and definitely, it was really tricky for Dixon because Dixon was a late in, but Stranadica played significantly better than Dixon did and has filled in that role pretty well. So should play for at least the next couple of weeks. I think Bailey Williams is still injured for a few more weeks. And so he's not the worst selection. It's just with Hayes in last week and Bruce, like who's got positions in their ruck to be bringing players in. I don't, I don't think there's many people out there that do, if you do. Um, and he's selected this week. I don't hate it. Curtis, I liked. He was really good in game one. I watched him pretty closely that week. Um, should have easily kicked a few goals and scored more. His scoring's been pretty good. Like, if you can get 55 out of a small forward, that's actually pretty good. Don't mind him as an option at all. McComb, Curtis, Stronadika, is that going to be position specific? Yeah. Where do you need a player? 100%. Yeah. And just making sure that you're not getting in a situation where you're having to play one of these guys on field. Unless it's Clark, you're not trying to get any of these guys onto your field. Agree with that. And so the main thing to look at is basically guys who are not ready to trade out in combination with the guys that you're anticipating to trade in this week and next week and anticipating where that leaves you in terms of an on-field playing player. So if you can tuck a McDonald in the forward line instead of forcing him on field, for example, these are the things that you ideally want to be trading off or maybe at some stage committing to a downgrade from a player that might not generate you the ideal amount of cash for your upgrade cadence, but you're having to tidy up as a hygiene factor in order to bring in the best rookies to give yourself as best bench as possible moving forward. Because ideally, you don't trade out McDonald at 198, but if you were insisting on trading in Carol, McCormick, and Clark, you may be in a situation where you might be looking at trading him out at that sort of price point and just factoring that into the cash that you might already have on hand or need in order to hit some of the top end players. In the midfield and the forward line, we're getting to the stage where there's not going to be a lot of money to be made from the rookies that we're trading out anymore. And you're going to be getting some pretty thin results from there. It's really the defensive rookies that are starting to make us money, like the Gibkes, Dakoni sort of players. And so, yeah, you, you might be trading out for only a hundred thousand dollar profit on some of these guys. Where do you stand on trading? Like, I know a lot of teams out there have like a Saligo or Hoff or even Dylan Stevens who had 25 on the weekend in the reserves. Um, where do you stand on trading any of those guys out? Good question. And good segue. Chris Todd, one of our patrons did ask us this exact question. When do you move a, a Horn Francis versus a Hoff and McDonald? And to me, it's guided by a combination of the players that you're looking to trade in, like we just talked about, and trying to make sure that you keep a healthy enough bench that you're not forced to play a player that you don't want scoring on field on field versus who and when 
you take a compromised upgrade in order to maintain trading momentum while you, you do that. And that's where conceding on a player like Parker early or, you know, Jordan Degoe this week or taking a risk on a, a, a Jake Lloyd or whoever it is that there, there comes a point where you go based on the cash that I have projecting forward, where is the most sensible place for me to take a risk on a player that has dropped in price that to this moment doesn't look like a premium in everybody else's eyes, but I have to take a punt on one of these. Otherwise I'm either going to have a poor scoring rookie on field or I'm going to have to pause my upgrading. So I, I sort of think that's what informs it. And that's kind of difficult because it's going to be a bit team specific, right? Ideally, I guess the long and short of it is you don't trade out a 200K rookie unless you can still hit the upgrade that you want. And that means maybe waiting for a Mitch Duncan at 420K or taking Jordan Degoe this week or whatever the case may or Rosie last week is probably the perfect example of that. And that's why he might've been a good risk for a lot of the sides. I know you've made moves like that in the past. I think, um, Wingard from the Hawks has been a player that you've picked up super yeah. cheap a few times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and taking a risk on a player like that might have to happen at some stage, but generally you don't want to impact your upgrade cadence. It just gets tricky when you're heading into the buys and you have these non-playing players still, they're not making money and they're just not going to be able to get you a player on field during the buys either. So. Yeah, those non-playing non rookies are really tricky. I think with the five extra trades, unless you've gone too high burning them, that's where it can afford you a few more side swaps around the buys, hopefully. Now, COVID may really play a role in destroying all those plans, but I would prefer to take a risk on a Rosie. And if he doesn't work out, side swap him around the buys and then pick up a buy-free player that way versus trying to do a Hoff down to a Carroll or a McComb and become end up scoring 40 in the meet the week you need him or worse getting dropped yeah. um i think we have tried to approach by planning from a holistic point of view looking at the rookies as well in prior seasons and then just getting such limited benefit from having 22 players and the rookies all doing shit i think the real focus is making sure you have the right premium mix going into it and side-swapping mid-prices that aren't working out, especially with the extra trades that we have. So it's an extra reason to look at mid-prices whose buys around 13 and 14. Basically, if it's a risky premium with around 12 buy, that's enough to not pick them because you don't get the extra benefit of side-swapping them to dodge a And that's why I passed on Rosie last week. That makes heap of sense. Luke McDonald's a good shout out, 420k in defense, been scoring pretty well, has a premium scoring history, uh, and is 420k with a round 14 buy in defense. He may be someone that you could look at this way. Yeah. Final questions. We'll just have a quick look at the trade out candidates. Uh, just want to flag a few more players that reaching their break even point. We call that Rochelle and Horn Francis last week. And after the poor games, they both have had a slight dip. Poor um, games. Yes. Horn Francis. Got the rising star nom this week. <laughs> I think it was, he showed some serious attitude in that game. Like the attitude he showed in that game was like, damn, I want this guy in my side. Like he really stood up as a first year player. Attitude points plus five. Yeah. <laughs> Agree with that. The three other players that are kind of hitting that point, uh, Nathan O'Driscoll and Nick Dacos, both whose break evens are now approaching their average. And then you've got Jared Berry as well in a similar boat. 
Barry seems like a good one to potentially cast out to free up on-field space for Clark anyway. Seems like that could be relatively low change in on-field scoring, but unlock a huge tranche of cash. Yep. Um, so he's one that I'm personally going to have a look at as maybe as, as soon as this week. The other two, I think, are a little bit team-specific. Ideally, from O'Driscoll and Dacos, you're going up and not down. And the question is just, you know, if you want a midfield premium, are you really downgrading O'Driscoll to... There's no real defensive bubble boys at the moment. So you're probably, you know, pivoting a DeConing or a McCartan back into the back line, or you're trading them out of your midfield. But in general, I, I assume those are guys that people have in their back line, and so you're more likely to want to upgrade from them. Otherwise, holding the, both those two at 300 and 370 to continue to get better on field scoring in that position doesn't seem like the worst idea as well. Dacos is likely to stay in my side. I'm just a bit worried. There were some comments last week that he's got a bit of a sore foot and being a first-year player that they're going to want to really protect. You would think that he, he may come in for a rest at some stage, or they are just a little bit worried about that. Uh, then again, Collingwood are top eight at the moment, so they may just want to keep pushing. So Dacos is a hold for me at the moment until we get more information. Agreed. He is hopefully going to be one of the last few players off the field for me in terms of rookies. And the reasoning for that is also wanting to keep a spot free in case a really good upgrade option presents itself due to an injury. If somebody gets a really poor game even uh, and drops to a really attractive price, you just like to have a spot generally in each position where you can allow yourself that sneaky upgrade. And he's probably the last one that I want on field in, in the back line. And to a except degree, it's why I'm holding off except on... Except for Essendon's best player, Nick Martin. <laughs> well, he's the F6 and will likely stay my F6 for a while because once English gets back on field, I have five premiums already. I'm assuming you're on that boat after this week, Mark. Depends on whether you include Brody as a premium. Probably and, at this stage. <laughs> well, yeah, you would at this stage. I know he was a bit, a bit of a lower game on the weekend, but even Brayshaw was down on the weekend. And um, it also depends whether English plays in the ruck or as a forward. All right, that's all the questions that we were going to tackle for the week. Uh, we'll try and record the Patreon a little bit later. I'm actually overseas at the moment for a wedding, so try our best to get some additional content out there. But huge shout out to our patrons for your ongoing support. And throw to you for your final messages for the week, Mark. Going to be an interesting week. I think I'm just going to look at continue to max trade so just keep using my boosts um at this stage and uh yeah just tossing up clark versus mccomb at this stage and that'll affect which premiums i bring in as well so uh it is good to have a few rookies coming through i think a tricky topic on next week's podcast may be zach reed in defense given the fact that there's like no defensive rookies that we can trade to he's the 175k second year player uh should score pretty decent for the bombers and play every week if he's fit um and so that'll be a bit of a tricky one next week and it'll be interesting to see how jack carroll goes with hewitt back in the side and whether he gets as many points and as much mid time Rioli, I don't have as much high hopes for just because he played west coast he scored three goals in a minute and a half his score was pretty inflated by that it's pretty easy to score against West Coast at the moment. You wouldn't do a double down this week to Clark and another debutant, would you? Another one who's just played their first game this week. I would take McComb over any of those guys that had only played one game other than Clark. I think the other thing to note is that 
next week, if there are a lot of rookies that present and they're not a heap on the horizon beyond that, people may also consider more aggressively downgrading next week to upgrade the week after. And so with up to three trades, there's a lot of opportunities to still bring in rookies next week. So I wouldn't be trading in more than just Clark. I agree with you. If I were to take two, it'd be Clark and pairing him with somebody on the bubble this week. But having said that, something to think about is if you know that you're going to be trading in more rookies next week, you probably want to deploy your cash this week if you can. So I think it would make sense to me if you can to not go in next week with 250K in bank because you're probably only going to get one upgrade away. If you bring in Clark, maybe there might be a little bit more reason to, but there's a good chance that there'll be Clark and two other rookies that look tempting next week. Yeah, and so you double downgrading two weeks in a row doesn't go great pure upgrade cadence. No, but potentially a reason or an opportunity to clear out a Hoff and McDonald time. Again, if you can... Use all your cash this week in preparation for that. If you can't and you're still anticipating a double down next week, then maybe you just go, well, this is a good time for me to clear out a Hoff or a McDonald. Hopefully I can catch up those hundred points this week. It's uh, pretty shattering over here being <laughs> behind you now by hundred points. It's, um, looks a long way away. That's got to mean you're, you're staying off Parker so that you've got your own POD. So you, you're priced into Dugowie now, aren't you? I'm definitely, it's coming to my mind, but I, uh, unfortunately <laughs> should not be making all of my trade decisions around your team and what I think that you will do. That has not proved to be a good strategy in the past. <laughs> all righty. Uh, with that, we'll wish you all the best for the coming week and catch you all next week. See, See ya. you guys. Don't want this,